Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. Come on. Hey, let's take your Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 20 is where we're going to be today. As you're turning there, just want to say again, echo how thankful we are that you're here today, especially if you're a first time guest. My name is Michael and uh, honored to get to spend some time with you preaching God's word. I don't know if you're like me, but there's some moments in life where you just feel overwhelmed. One of those moments in my life, and I believe for some of you, you've experienced this same feeling, is when you're going to log in to maybe your bank account, uh, maybe to pay your lecture, I don't know what it is, but you're going to log in and you type in your password, you remembered your password, which that's a miracle, right? And then it shows you this grid of nine pictures. And it gives you, some of you already know where I'm going, don't you? It gives you some instruction. It says, please select the pictures that contain a red light, a door, a window, and only those boxes. So now, for whatever reason, all the anxiety of the world comes on your shoulders as you're trying to determine which of these nine pictures has a red light in it. Anybody with me? I don't know why, but I convinced myself if I get it wrong, I'm going to lose my house, right? <laughs> I just feel the weight of it. And sometimes... I get so anxious about it and so overwhelmed about it, I just go, nah, I'm not going to log in. I just don't need to. I'll do it later. I'll figure it out, right? I just, there's all these pieces, and I'm trying to determine, yes, that is a door. Maybe that's a window. I'm not sure, right? You just get overwhelmed. You say, I'm done. Well, for some of us, when it comes to studying the end times, we feel that same anxiety. We'll feel that same feeling of just being so overwhelmed that we just go, eh, whatever. I'm just trusting it's going to turn out in the end. And listen, if you feel that way, you're not alone. Many times people feel that way. But my hope today is for us to charge the hill. It's for us to answer the question, what happens in the end times? Two weeks ago, we asked the question, are we in the end times? Last week, we talked about what is God's plan for Israel and how that relates to the end times. But today, we're going to do the hard work. The hard work of trying to lay out what is going to happen in about 35, 40 minutes. So we're going to install some more offense today to help you have a better grasp of all that is going to unfold. And as we do that today, I want us to remember the guardrails that we've set in this series to be reminded that, yes, we 100% affirm that Jesus is going to return. That is going to happen. Secondly, we said that the Bible doesn't contain all things about the end, but it does contain some things about the end. And so we need to recognize that. And thirdly, we need to understand that a healthy perspective on the study of the end is good that's good for us, but it shouldn't be abused, all right? It shouldn't be abused. We, we don't need to make this everything uh, about our faith and about our faith journey, but, but we do need to think well about it. And so today, we are going to attempt to answer the question, what is going to happen when the end times come? And so we're going to dig in here in Revelation chapter 20. I'll invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. It says here, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key to the abyss and a great chain in his hand. 
He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, closed it, and put a seal on it so that he would no longer deceive the nations until the thousand years were completed. After that, he must be released for a short time. Verse 4. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because the word of God, who had, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Let's pray. God, we need your help this morning. We understand the vastness of what it is that we're trying to get a better grasp and understanding of what you're doing, and so I just pray that your grace and mercy would be had for those that are listening in this room, that are watching TV, online, wherever we find ourselves today. Would you help us to have a better grasp, Lord, of what you're doing? Uh, but Lord, more than that, would you help us to have a better confidence in all that is going to happen? Thank you, Lord, that the victory is yours in Christ. Help us in this moment, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Today, as we navigate laying out what's going to happen in the end, let me summarize it for you. Simply this, that God's victory and our hopeful future are fully secured. God's victory and our hopeful future are fully secured. As we attempt to lay out all of these things that are going to unfold in the end, it's imperative to understand the challenge that's in front of us because what we find in the book of Revelation and other places in the Bible is a genre of scripture, a type of writing that is different than what you find in, uh, say, like the law or the gospels, even narrative accounts. What we find here is what's called apocalyptic genre. Uh, what that means is it is it's speaking of these end times, and it's using things like visions and signs and symbols. And these things can be hard for us to fully know exactly what they are speaking of. It can even be challenging for us to consider, well, is that literal or is that a figurative type of speech? For instance, what we just read of this angel with a key and an abyss, right? Is, it, is this a literal key that the angel is going to hold? Or is this some, some type of figment of, 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 of language that is helping us grasp and tell this visionary story of, of, of this vision of what's happening in this unfolding story of redemption, in many ways, when you look at the end times in Scripture, what it feels like is you're looking at a bunch of pieces to the puzzle, and you don't have the picture on the box. You understand how difficult that would be, right? You have all of these puzzle pieces, and you know or you think you have a good idea of what's on the puzzle piece, but you don't know how the pieces fit together. And so today, it's going to be my attempt for us at a 30,000-foot level to look at some of these puzzle pieces, and at the end of our time together, I'm going to try to help you see some different options of how people try to put the puzzle together. But as we do this, I want you to know that, that in the, the, the vastness of what I'm going to cover with you today, I'm going to invite you just to walk out of here remembering three things. Three things. The first one is this, is that God's enemies will be fully routed. God's enemies will be fully routed. 
Secondly, the second thing I want you to walk out of here with today is this, is that God's kingdom will be fully realized. God's kingdom will be fully realized. And then lastly, is that God's creation will be fully restored. All right? Now, I am confident of those three things. I'm very confident of those three things. Some of the stuff we're going to walk into today that flesh from those ideas we can't be necessarily as confident exactly what it's going to look like or when it's going to take place. But those three things, if you walk out here today and say, what's going to happen in the end time? And you say, God's enemies are going to be fully routed. His kingdom is going to be fully restored. And his creation, I'm sorry, his kingdom is going to be fully realized. And his creation is going to be fully restored. You have done well today. So just like last week, I'm going to talk fast. I need you to listen fast. Can we do that? All right. Here we go. Number one, God's enemies will be fully routed. What's going to happen in the end? God's enemies are going to be fully routed. We look here at the beginning of chapter 20, and we see a portion of that take place here. We see this vision that John is having. We know it because he says, then I saw this angel who comes down, who seizes the dragon, the ancient serpent, Satan, and bounds him for a thousand years, and it says that he throws him into the abyss and puts a seal on it so that he cannot deceive the nation for a thousand years. And so what we find here is that, that God is going to be victorious over his enemies. And this is going to happen, and God's victory over his enemy, it's going to happen in an earthly sense, but also in an eternal sense. All right? In an earthly sense and also in an eternal sense. So let's talk about the earthly here for a second. All right? If you go to Psalm chapter 2, you can turn there if you want or you'll see it on the screen. Psalm chapter 2, we see the psalmist there understanding God's victory over the nations, over those that would walk in rebellion towards him. It says there in verse 2 through 9, it says, The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. That's speaking of Jesus there. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off us. The enthroned one in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Mount Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession." You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. As you can see here, this is not a close game down to the wire, not sure which way it's going to go. It's made clear here in Psalm chapter 2 that the nations will be an inheritance to the Son, that he will break them with an iron scepter, an iron rod. We'll see that again here in just a moment. And so this anger and wrath that is poured out, we see uh, uh, what seems to be an intensified moment this, uh, of this in a period called the tribulation, all right? That's the first puzzle piece that I want you to hold on to in your mind today, or you can write it down, is the tribulation. We see this period of tribulation, it is prophesied of, I believe, in Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, we see it pointing to this period of what seems to be seven years, Seven years in which God's wrath is going to be poured out on the earth towards those that are walking in rebellion of him. We see this laid out in Revelation chapter 7 through Revelation chapter 17. We don't have time to go through all of that today, but in those chapters we see these seals, not like 
animal seals, uh, but like something you would see, these seals, right? And, and we see these trumpets, and we see these bowls. We see these things of this number seven over and over again, and it is God's wrath being poured out on the rebellion on earth. In fact, in Revelation chapter 9, this is a part of this tribulation that a third of the earth is killed. And then consider this, that even after that takes place, it tells us, John records that still, after his wrath is being poured out on earth, still people will not repent of their idol worship and their sinful living. So this is the portion where we find the Antichrist, and we're going to talk about that next week, actually. Some of this stuff that we're hitting on, we're going to dive deep into it over the next three weeks. So if you're like, man, I don't understand everything that you said, we're going to get to that in the weeks ahead today. I'm just trying to give you the overview, all right? But there's this seven-year period of tribulation of God's wrath coming on the earth that we see in Revelation 7 through 17. Um, but then we see the fullness of this taking place and him uh, fully routing his enemies in his second coming and the battle of Armageddon, all right? We see this in Revelation chapter 19. So if you're there in Revelation 20, you can just look over or you may need to flip the page back. But in Revelation chapter 19, we see the fullness of him fully routing his enemies on earth. It says there in chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, John says, Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. Does that sound familiar? He will also trample the winepress of the, fiercest, the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. There in John 19 He's seeing, John is seeing the picture of Christ's second coming, and you can see it is very different than a small-town Christmas, isn't it? It's very different than him coming in meekness and in humility, but he is coming in all of his glory as a victorious warrior. And after this moment, if we had time, we would continue to read through chapter 19, but we see that an angel goes to the birds, goes to the birds and says, prepare yourself to feast on the flesh of these armies that have come against God. Dr. Danny Aiken, he makes the point, he says, when we look at the end times, we see two feasts that are going to happen. Number one is the marriage supper of the Lamb. We see that the first part of Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. The second one is this feast that takes place here of the birds and the flesh of those that have been defeated who have rebelled against God. He says, there's one flesh you're going to be at, or I'm sorry, there's one feast you're going to be at, there's one feast that you're going to be the feast. It matters which one you attend. We see this moment where, where God is going, where Christ is going to come in his second coming. It tells us in Revelation 19, verse 21, the rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds ate their fill of the flesh. So we can see that this continuous rebellion on earth, that it will not be swept under a rug. But those that are on the earth at the time of his coming, as they continue in their idol worship and in their sinful living, that he will rout his enemies. But as we look at Scripture, we see that God's routing of his enemies, it won't just be earthly but, and in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual eternal realm. And that's what we find here in Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation 20, we have this moment where it tells us that Satan is bound. 
Now understand, this is, this is a confusing part of Scripture, and there's a lot of different views, all right? But I, I, again, I don't want you to miss that this is not some cataclysmic battle between good and evil, between Jesus and Satan, down to the wire to determine who's going to, who to, who's going to win. Right? It just says here that this angel, not even the Lord himself, but an angel simply seizes, grabs hold of Satan, and deals with him. He bounds him. And after a later unbounding of Satan that we see later on, and again, we'll talk about this in the weeks to come, we find another of our puzzle pieces, which is known as the great white throne judgment. And again, this is a part of God's enemies being fully routed. It's going to happen in this great white throne judgment, where not just that their enemies are defeated uh, in an earthly sense, but also in an eternal sense. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, it says, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's a complete routing. But then finally, it's not just Satan and the false prophet. It's not just the Antichrist, but it's those who have not responded by faith to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The great white throne judgment, it will be a day of sadness. Because it tells us in chapter 20, verse 12 through 15, John says, I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. God's enemies will be routed in an earthly sense, but also in an eternal sense, as we see at this great white throne judgment, for those whose names are not in the book of life, that have not trusted in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, they will be routed once and for all. We should feel the weight of that today, shouldn't we? We should feel the weight, not just if you're an unbeliever today, and if you're an unbeliever, you, you should feel the weight of that. That at this moment right now, God offers you the opportunity to move from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He offers that as a free gift to you and by sending his son Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin and your rebellion. Jesus took it on himself that you could confess your sin to him. You could repent from that sin and you could, could invite Jesus to come and to be the Lord of your life, to commit your life, to follow him, submit your life to him. And to know that in doing so, that your name would be written in the book of life so that when God is routing his enemies here in this final eternal judgment, that you don't have to worry because you know that your name is in the book of life. At the same time, for believers today, we need to feel the weight of it, don't we? We need to feel the weight of the reality of what will unfold for those who are not in Christ, for our neighbors, for our family members, for our coworkers. This should stir us into gospel living and gospel conversations. And so we see this unfolding, God's enemies being fully routed in an earthly sense and an eternal sense. But understand, when we look at the end times, it's not just about bringing something down, but it's about establishing something in its fullness. As 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us, that God's defeat 
of this last great enemy will be death. And again, this is because of Christ's death and his burial and resurrection. And in that moment, we will see the consummation of something great. It'll be his kingdom. So let's look here at this second big rock for us to understand is that God's kingdom will be fully realized. So God's enemies will be fully defeated in an earthly and eternal sense. But then what happens in the end is that God's kingdom will be fully realized. Again, we remember that when Christ came in his first coming, he came in humility. He came in meekness. But when he comes again, as we've just read, he is going to come in glory as a victorious warrior. And with that will be the coming of his kingdom and his kingdom in all of its fullness. What do I mean by that? Well, I shared it a couple weeks ago, but just to give you a refresher. Remember when Jesus came, he said the kingdom of God is among you, right? We believe that in Jesus' first kingdom, that the kingdom of God was inaugurated on earth. It began, but when it began, it did not begin in its fullness, right? This is why in another place, Jesus would say, my kingdom is not of this earth, right? It's not here. The, the fullness of it had not come. But we believe that when Christ comes again in his glory and his majesty, he is, going to do, he is going to set up his eternal kingdom and his fullness. And that's what we see here happening in chapter 20. Look at me again here in verse 4. Verse 4, four and 5, it says, Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because the word of God who had not worshipped the beast of his image and who had not accepted the mark of their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. What we find here in verse 1 through 6 of chapter 20, hang with me, all right? I know it feels like we're swimming through peanut butter, but hang with me, right? What we find here in verse 1 through 6 is that six times there is a reference to a thousand years. Right? You can circle them in your Bible if you want to, but a thousand years that Satan is going to be bound. For a thousand years, the, these will reign on thrones, right? For a thousand years, over and over again. And so we look to this moment and we say, man, there must be something significant about these thousand years because we see John over and over again reiterating. That this period, this is another one of our puzzle pieces today, all right? It's referred to as the millennial reign. The millennial reign. I'm going to do my best, Evan McFarland here. Say millennial reign. Good. I can do that too. All right, so the millennial reign. So that's this thousand years are going to take place, and this is about the establishment of God's full kingdom, that it has come in its fullness. So if we take this passage at face value, if we take it literally, we see a thousand years in which Jesus will be reigning on earth as its rightful king. This thousand-year period is going to be a time of peace and righteousness. It tells us, those in the text, that they'll be reigning with Christ, and they'll be doing so, hear me, in their glorified body. We're going to talk about this in three weeks, but, but when, when we are raised from the dead, when Christ comes again, our bodies will take on a new nature. There will be continuity, right? It will be your body, but it will be a glorified body, just as, as Jesus had a physical body, and he ate after his resurrection in a real physical body. He is the first fruits of what is to come for us, that we will take on that same glorified body. Again, there's debates about this, and I'm going to touch on those at the end. But as you see, from his second coming, Satan and evil are defeated and God's kingdom is fully established. That day is coming, but it's not here yet. In fact, we see it in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, into verse 8 and verse 9. The author says, as it is, 
We do not yet, that's an important word, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus, made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. That day is coming when all things will be subjected to King Jesus. It will happen in the fullness, the realization of his kingdom, but we're not there yet, but that day is coming. And when we say that there will be Everything subjected to himself, that includes everything, including physical creation. That brings us to our third big rock today that I want you to be able to walk out of here with, is that God's creation will be fully restored. His creation will be fully restored. You may remember back two weeks ago, we talked about Matthew chapter 24 and the labor pains. Do you remember those? We talked about uh, that there would be wars and rumors of wars. There'd be these international conflicts, one nation coming against the other. There would be famines and earthquakes, these natural disasters. And remember Jesus said, these things, the end is not here, but these are the beginning of labor pains. Well, that same word labor pains, we find it in Romans chapter 8 when it talks about what creation itself, not just humanity, but creation itself is experiencing right now. Because of the effects of sin and disobedience, it has had an effect not just on the hearts of men, but on on all of creation. Look at me in Romans chapter 8, verse 19 through 22. It says, For creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay into a glorious freedom of God's children. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. That means at this moment that, that God's creation, it recognizes that this is not as things should be. And it says that it is longing, these same labor pains, it is longing for a day when creation itself will be made right. And here's the thing, the Bible tells us that that is going to happen. In fact, we read about it in our corporate time today. It is referred to, here's another piece of the puzzle for us, the new heavens and the new earth. The new heavens and the new earth. We see this again in chapter 21, verse 1 through 4. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them and their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Amen? Man, that is our hope today. One question that I get often, get asked often, just to reassure you, the Dallas Cowboys will not be in the new heavens, new earth, because there's no crying, there's no grief. <laughs> Saints fans, they ain't going to be there either, are they? <laughs> well, what we find in these new heavens and new earth that will come after Christ's second coming is that it will be a renovated, a gloriously renovated new creation. It means that there will be some continuity between this earth and the new heavens and the new earth. But what is coming will be a physical earth that will be greater than you can ever imagine. In three weeks, we're going to talk. Our message that day is only going to be about the new heavens and the new earth. I'm going to answer the question, will you be able to play golf? Will you be able to hunt? Right? We're going to talk about some of those things three weeks from now. But it will be this period called the new heavens and the new earth. 
So I've tried to give you, again, these three big rocks today. God's enemies will be fully routed. God's kingdom will be fully realized, and God's creation will be fully restored. And within these big rocks, I've tried to give you some puzzle pieces today, right? You have the tribulation, this seven-year period of God pouring out his wrath. You have the second coming of Christ. You have the millennial reign, this thousand years. You have the the, the, uh, great white throne judgment. You have the new heavens and the earth. You have all these puzzle pieces that we seem to find in Scripture and to be true of these things are going to happen in the end. How do they piece together? What is the picture that we see on the box? Let me do my best attempt to put that together. I've got some, I think some guys are going to come help me, some volunteers. You guys hop up here. Can I see those real quick? I'm going to do my very best today to help you see this with some of my volunteers that are coming up here. You guys just come stand right up here, all right? Just make a line right up here, all right? Let's give it up for our volunteers today. What's up? Howdy, Jay. What's up? I said I wanted six handsome guys. We did the best we could, all right? Now, I want you to understand, there's one puzzle piece that I haven't mentioned yet. Some of you are going, wait, there's something I know about the end times that he hadn't talked about, and you're right. It's a thing called the rapture. We see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, it gives us this picture. I need you to hold that right there. Good, you're doing great. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it tells us of this catching up or this snatching away of believers to meet Christ in the air. All right? So, we got an R for rapture. Next one, we got a T. For what? Tribulation. Good. We got an S. Good job, Jay. Yeah, there you go. An S for second coming. All right. We got an M for millennial reign. We got a J for judgment, and we got an N for new heavens and the new earth. All right. So we see we got our puzzle pieces, right? Now, what you're seeing here is a chronological order of a position. Get ready. This is a nerdy word for you. All right. Dispensational premillennialism. Say that with, I'm just kidding. I'm not gonna make you do it. All right. Dispensational premillennial. I can't even say it. We'll just shorten it. Premill. All right. Premill. This position, as they look and interpret scripture, their understanding of how the end times are going to unfold is that you are going to have a rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. It's going to be a secret rapture. If you've read the left behind book, all right? The left behind book is written with this understanding of how it's going to unfold, all right? So you have a rapture of the church. After that takes place, you have a tribulation period for seven years. Seven-year tribulation period where God is pouring out his wrath. You're also going to see a great revival of the Jewish people. We talked about that last week. And then you're going to have what after seven years? Second coming, aren't you? A second coming. Christ is going to come. When he comes, he is going to establish his millennial reign on earth for a thousand years. After that thousand years, you're going to see a judgment, the great white throne judgment. And then we will have, last but not least, what? New heavens and the new earth. That's how they put the pieces together from what you look at scripture, all right? But that's not the only understanding. Then we have a position called historic pre-mill. See what I did there? I just went ahead and shortened it, all right? Historic pre-mill, all right? I need you guys to switch. Can y'all switch? All right? Now, there's more to this position of historic pre-mill than just switching these two, all right? Honestly, a lot of it goes back to what we talked about last week. And if you weren't here last week, you need to go back and look at that. And it's trying to understand with depth of how God is relating to his people throughout his story of redemption, all right? But for most historic pre-mill, and this can change, but you have a tribulation period of seven years that will take place with the Antichrist. Again, we're going to talk about that next week. After that, you have the rapture of the church and the rapture of the church and the second coming. Can y'all kind of put those together? Very good, right? 
you are going to have a rapture of the church and the second coming at the same time. You're like, wait a second, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that God's people, you guys are working hard on that, right? <laughs> I appreciate the dedication, all right? So you have God's people raptured up to meet Christ in the air, and we pull a U-turn and come right back down with him. This is what would happen in ancient cultures when a king or a royal official would come into a city. The people, as a way to honor that royal official, would actually not wait in town for him to show up. They would go out and they would meet the king, and they would come back into their town with the king. Some believe that that's what's going to happen. It's going to be a, a tribulation period. The church will go through the tribulation, but it will be a time where God will protect his people, right? He will overshadow them. He will protect them. Then you have a rapture and a second coming. You have a thousand-year reign on earth. You have a judgment, and finally you have what? New heavens and new earth. This is called historic pre-mill, all right? So you can see there's kind of a close relationship between our first one and our second one, right? There's not, doesn't seem to be it chronologically a big difference, all right? Now we ready to get crazy? Yeah. Gracie's with me, all right? Can you come right over here? Good, here we go. All right, y'all scoot down some? Good. All right, no, I didn't tell you to scoot down. Come on, Grant. I'm just kidding. All right, <clears throat> next we're going to talk about is a position called post-millennialism, all right? Post-mill, all right? Now, post-mill and the next one we're going to talk about, they're not as literal, they see this as more figurative when it comes to this one right here, the millennial reign of Christ. Their understanding of what Scripture teaches, some of you may hold to this position, that when it talks about this thousand-year reign, they would say, listen, it says it six times in that verse, but it doesn't say it anywhere else in the Bible. And so in this one right here, this millennial reign right here, this is a figurative thousand years. It's a figurative idea, and it's speaking from the time that Jesus came in his first coming to the time in which he'll come at his second coming. And the thousands of years that are in between, however long that is, that is the millennium. We are living in the millennium right now. Tribulation is happening right now. It's not a literal seven-year tribulation, but it's happening. Tribulation is happening all over the world. We know that. We experience that. But the post-mill position, it says post-mill because, look, uh, you have the millennium here and then the second coming. Do you see that? That was the big change we made. The millennium went from after the second coming to before it. And here's what that means. For the post-mill, they believe this that the gospel is going to continue to advance in, on this world. And it's going to advance, not just seeing many and many and many people coming to faith in Christ, but the gospel will influence governments. It will influence institutions. So that when the second coming arrives, when this moment happens, Jesus is returning to a world that has been Christianized. But the gospel has been victorious, right? And so it is post-mill. They believe that this world is going to get better and better and better and better and better and better and better. There's going to be a golden year, a golden season where, where the gospel's advancing and this is a Christianized world and then Christ will come, all right? Last one is this. It's what we call all-mill, all-millennium, millennialism, all right? Very similar idea, all right? These are more figurative in the sense of that they don't just happen for 1,000 years and seven years. But they would say in the same way that it's happening from the first time Jesus came to the second time Jesus comes, but it's happening in heaven. That right now the millennium is happening in heaven as people in the intermediate state, those who have died, that they are right now reigning with Christ in heaven on thrones. And there is a time that is coming when the rapture and the second coming will happen, judgment and the new heavens and the new earth. That is all millennialism. It's happening in heaven. All right? Can we thank our volunteers today? Good work, fellas. Good work, good work, good work, good work. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I guess y'all could have kept these puzzle pieces if you wanted, but listen. 
I feel the responsibility to help you understand to the best of my ability what's going to unfold. Today, I've tried to do that. And I know for some of you, you'd say, okay, Michael, which one of those do you believe? Well, let me say this. Number one, I would land in a camp that would say, I believe there will be a thousand-year earthly reign of Christ on earth. I have friends that disagree with that. Some of my best friends disagree with that. And that's okay. Guess what? We're still friends, and I still think they're going to heaven. All right? I believe that. When it comes to the rapture, I would say that I land in a camp where I think the rapture is going to happen after the tribulation. Okay? Now, that is very different than what most people would believe and what most people have grown up because the view that the rapture is going to happen prior to the tribulation has become very popular over the last 300 years. All right? But that's where I land. But as other scholars have said, listen, I reserve the right and will gladly, if I'm wrong and the rapture happens first, I will gladly change my view halfway up. All right? <laughs> I will happily be like, sorry, guys. I didn't intend to lead you astray. Y'all were clearly right. Let's go, right? I'm happy to do that. But I just want to tell you, as I look at Scripture, that's my best understanding of how it's going to unfold. But again, I reserve the right to be wrong. Again, my hope today is that you've seen some big rocks that are important for us. God's enemies are going to be fully routed. God's kingdom is going to be fully realized. And that God's creation is going to be fully restored. There are some different pictures on the puzzle box of how these things are going to unfold. But again, what's our main idea today? God's victory and our hopeful future are fully secured. And that is only true for the one that is in Christ Jesus. As you think about looking at those seven pictures, as you're logging in and you're trying to find that red light or you're trying to find that door, that window, if you get it wrong, let's be honest, there's really not a lot at stake. But today, understand that if your understanding of who the person and work of Jesus Christ is, if you get that wrong, everything's at stake. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.